Heavenly Father, thank you for waking us up this morning. Thank you for all the many blessings you continue to bestow upon us, even the rain, Lord. Um, you know, sometimes we, we may not be that happy for it, but it, it's definitely a reminder that, um, you know, were it not for the rain, we wouldn't enjoy the sunshine so much. So I pray that you be, be with this class, help us to um, engage and learn something from it and go back and be well prepared for any emergencies that may arise. I see things in your most holy and precious name. Amen. I think no no introduction is needed because <laughs> I've introduced myself to you all before. Uh, but thank you for coming back. Uh, so today's class is on emergency planning. Um, there are a num number of different elements that go into planning for emergencies. Um, just a heads up. It, when it comes to emergency planning, there are... A number of different resources out there on our website we actually have emergency planning documents to make sure that you're geared up and prepared and sit down with your board and say hey here um, you know these are the things that we're, we're prepared for and this is what we're going to do another uh, valuable resource is through FEMA so FEMA actually also has emergency planning uh, documents on their website as well and they even have them by category, so they'll have them specifically for church organizations. So um, I would highly recommend checking those out if you're interested in uh, actually going forth and doing emergency planning at your church. Emergencies can be stressful. They can be very stressful, can be very confusing, and a lot of times they demand an immediate response. Uh, in the absence of pre-planning, it's kind of hard to, to give that immediate response um, when you're not really sure what to do. Unfortunately, due to fear and natural body responses, we can even end up making bad decisions. Uh, our bodies perform poorly under high-stress situations. Earlier this week, I discussed how I um, did active shooter training with Alice. And in that class, I actually learned that I also learned in, in, in that Alice training that in a high-stakes situation, whether it's a fire or active shooter, um, actually doors such as these, where you have to turn the doorknob. If you're high-stress, your motor skills are, <laughs> can fail you so easily that it becomes difficult to do a simple task as far as twist and push open. A lot of um, organizations and a lot of um, schools as a matter of fact, are moving towards kind of that either, yes, either a crash bar or something where it's, it doesn't require, more of like a handle versus a doorknob um, that requires a little bit finer motor skills. Um, so those, something as simple as that uh, can make it or break it in terms of emergency situation. Doorknobs such as those, especially in a fire, they can get hot. I mean, that's that's an indication of you know where the fire is. So um, these are just some things to keep in mind. So again, like I said, uh, starting off this class, want to be a little bit more interactive, a little more engaging. And the first thing that I would actually like to ask the class is, what emergency are we going to plan for today? For just yeah. Just, just go go through the process. What 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 emergency are we planning for? Active shooter. 
Okay, so are we all in agreement? We want to do active shooter today? <laughs> all right, active shooter it is. So, um, all right, well, we're planning for active shooter. Some things to keep in mind when you're planning for active shooter is who's going to be involved? Who, how are we going to go about planning this? First and foremost, it's important to have somebody that has gone through some level of training, whether it's somebody who's gone through an ALICE training or who's in law enforcement. Uh, if you're using law enforcement, a lot of times they're very um, accommodating. They'll, they'll come to your church to say, hey, you know, these are the things that we can practice. I don't know if they'll have as much time to sit with, whether it's your congregation or your church board, and go through the actual um, actions of planning for, for active shooter, but they'll give you the gist of things that you can do in preparation for active shooter drill. So first and foremost, the things that we need to do is to assess. Assess what are the risks, what what, um, where are we? You know, are we in a church? Are we in a school? Are we in the uh, community service center that's, a, that's across the street from our church? If it's across the street from our church, in the, in the event of an active shooter, if we have people in the community service center, the active shooters in between the two locations, how do we communicate the two? Maybe the people in the church community service center know that, hey, there's a shooter outside, but the people in the church don't. How are we going to go about communicating those things? Um, so where are we? We're planning for active shooter, but where are we? Are we at a church or are we at a school? We're in the... We're here. We're in this room. All right, sure. We're at church. Let's say we're in a Sabbath school room. I'll use this room as an example. This is probably one of the better examples. Um, more or less. Okay. So, so at this point, we're, we need to write up a plan. We need to figure out some things. Uh, when you go through active shooter training, it, it, there's levels to it. And first and foremost, they start off by um, giving you the tra traditional model, which is to find a place to hide. It's not fun. It's terrifying, it's nerve-wracking. Um, it's not something that I would rec recommend as a first resort. Um, there are other options as far as barricading. So as an example, this door, at least it seems so, has no way of, of, of locking itself. So theoretically, let's just say that that door is unlocked. You have an active shooter in the hallway. Clearly, they can see directly into it. Um, knowing what you know, first things first, what would be something that you would attempt to do? Okay, that's a start. That is a start. Anyone, anything else? Now, remember though, this door, and I'm not saying that that's not a bad idea, because that, that is the deterrent in and of itself. Well, the door opens out this way. Okay? So it definitely helps better if the door opens, swings inside the classroom, because then you can definitely barricade it. But that's not a bad idea as well. It is. So there are things that you could do to still prevent this door from being open. Put it, barricading the door is one. Wrapping your belt 
or uh, duct tape or something around this makes it be dip more difficult to open. Another thing that you could do in this particular room, I don't know how much yanking and pulling it would require, but if you had a cord, extension cord, or something like that. Oh, there's one there. You put one end of the extension cord, if you have enough time, underneath the door, and you pull it. Wrap it around the doorknob and pull it. If you could, if you could put it on something else that's sturdy enough, that then it becomes more difficult to open that door. That barricading the door is another deterrent. All right, I can't open the door now. It's um, and it's barricaded. I don't have enough time for this. One statistic usually is active shooter. Believe it or not, a lot of active shooters situations begin and end in about three minutes or less. So that active shooter is coming in and they're they're trying to get as many people as possible before law enforcement arrives. And a lot of times it ends with the active shooter ended up killing themselves. So uh, if you have a deterrent at the door like that, they may try to shoot out the window. They may. But that still gives you enough time here in this particular room to get out the window. Some things... Um, and I'm kind of quizzing you guys. Where's the best, if you're trying to, let's just say that this window doesn't open for some reason. Where would be the best way, best, best place to hit the window in order to break the window? It's actually the corners. It's actually the corners. You break the corners, the whole thing comes down crashing a lot easier than if you're trying to... Um, now, in some areas, you, th this goes back to assessing. In some areas, you have to be um, aware of the type of windows that you have in the building because some are a little bit, um, given, the, given the, the area, they may be more sturdy than your typical window and not easily broken. And so uh, just that, that goes back into assessment as well. All right, so that's, that's one example of what you can do in terms of, first and foremost, barricade or um, barricading. So now we know, um, and I kind of did that out of sequence, but if you know that there's an active shooter in the area, anybody, whether you're in the parking lot and you're walking in and you see them, the first thing that you're going to do is what? You're gonna alert somebody. You're gonna you're gonna call nine one one, but you're also gonna alert all the your other fellow church members as well, the schoolmates, to say, "Hey, you know, there's a shooter. There, where is that shooter? In the parking lot." And you're, you know, get get to your, you know, get out of the building if you can, or lock everything down. I've got, I've, I've got uh, four. Four two-way radios, and I have guys carrying those. See, so that's a huge advantage. That's a that's an excellent point. So if you have people who have um, the 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 handheld radios, they can communicate and say, hey, you know, we have a situation. We need to 
you know, one person's letting everybody throughout the building or multiple people letting people know throughout the building uh, where to go uh, or, you know, what's going on. And then another person, somebody's contacting the, the authorities, letting them know, hey, you know, we have an active shooter on our hands and we need assistance as soon as possible. A lot of times, again, which, which is another reason why the active shooters uh, situations tend to be a pretty swift is law enforcement on average they take anywhere about three to five minutes to respond depending on where you are even in dc where i live it'll take the it'll take a little while for the police yeah. to get there so you don't come as fast as you would think they are they they would um so those are just some things to keep in mind so it's all about trying to um lock it down so how are we so far? Do you think we're at a good place? Or are some other things that we need to consider if there's an active shooter? That is an option. That is an option. Um, if, if, uh, if you can send a text message quickly enough, like maybe you already have a, um, what do you call it, like a group in your yeah, phone okay. saved and say emergencies, you send out a quick, alert say hey you know something's going on it does double back a little bit to that whole fine motor skills so if you're high stress in that situation you may not even have the agility and the mo fine motor skills to get that text message out fast enough um, not a bad idea if you have the ability if you have the calm cool and collectiveness of it then go ahead and send that text message and let everybody else know um, but again they may not get it either um, you know, everybody's panicking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're on vibrate. You know, everyone's panicking, whatever the case may be. But that, I'm not saying that as a, it's not a, a, a good idea. But some things to, to think about. Um, okay, so we've, we've alerted authorities. We've alerted um, uh, our, our church members as well. In the first situation, we've, Locked down the, the door, and we decided to go out the window and make a run for it. Um, what happens if the shooter actually gets in? What's another thing that we could do? <laughs> there is now this one is a little harder to. to, to to, to stomach, but if the shooter get in, gets in, there is a possibility of casualties. It's a sad reality, but there is a possibility of casualties. Um, however, there is one thing, another thing that you can do. Um, our natural body reaction when it comes to something moving quickly towards us is to duck move to avoid it if you had no way of getting out barricaded the door you turned out the lights to maybe even you know in that situation if the shooter is in this hallway barricaded everybody as best as possible is out of sight um but if he gets in um actually throwing something at him it's unexpected like I said, they have two to three minutes to get as many people as they want. 
And if you're throwing stuff at them, they're, that's, what, that's what they're going to do every single time. They may not notice it, but every single time. Going through that training, I, yeah. Um, and if, uh, yeah, so that's another thing that you can do is throwing things at them as well. Um, I know this sounds all fancy and in, 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 in language alone, but it does work in practice. Um, just actually going through the drill and realizing that. Uh, but again, like I said, there may be, once the shooter's in the room, there may be possibility of, of casualties. Um, it's not my first recommendation. My first recommendation is always, if you can get to safety, get to safety. Don't go and try to engage the active shooter. There may be somebody in that group who wants, you know, who's willing to be the hero or be the sacrifice and say, you know, I'll go, you guys get out. But another way, if at this point you're fighting for your life, um, that same option of throwing something at the shooter if there's the biggest, burliest guy you got in the room or the biggest, burliest person you have in the room, if you can get at least, well, the ideal is to have four people. And each person, as everybody else in the room, if you have enough people in the room, is throwing something at them that everybody grabs one of their limbs. While he, why he, because it's usually a he, is ducking, Somebody's bum rushing him. He's confused. He's like, oh my goodness, what's going on? This is not what I expected. He, more than likely, they came in there expecting easy targets. They didn't expect somebody coming in and say, no, no, we're, 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 going, we're not going down without a fight. Um, <clears throat> so you're bum rushing him. Somebody's on this arm. Somebody's on this arm. Somebody's on this leg. Somebody's on this leg. And as a collective group, taking them down. If someone can um, kick the gun away, put it. Now, if you can put it in a, in a trash can or something like that, and um, you continually, because having four people on you holding you down, I don't care how strong you are, it's next to near impossible to, to, to move, especially if they have each one of your limbs. You have no leverage at that point. Um, the reason why I say to put the, the weapon in a place, um, a safe place away from the shooter is because if, when law enforcement arrives, they have no idea who the active shooter is. So you don't want to be the one saying, I, I got the gun, I got, you know, you don't want to have it anywhere near you. You don't want to have it in your hands, dispose of it somewhere in a safe place. Um, and go about it in that manner. Um, how are we? How are we in our planning so far? So you have you assess your risks. You assess things. You know your your premises. What are we going to do in the event of, in this case, an active shooter? You write the plan. You practice it. So for 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 the active shooter, if that if 
if that's the one I would I would recommend Alice training uh, it does cost Alice a L I C E training and if I'm not mistaken that's dot com um, they'll come in there there's so there's two portions to it um, first part is online familiarize yourself with gun sounds some other just what Alice training is uh, alert lockdown inform counter and uh, evacuate if I'm not mistaken um, <clears throat> yeah and so that that first part is online the second part is they have an instructor that will come in and do and just like the things that I was explaining that were just now they'll actually go through an actual active suitor situation with you so you get a feel for all right how am I going to move how would we react actually going through the motions and practice practicing it puts it really it really puts it into perspective for you because for me to just sit up here and talk to you about it right. doesn't really mean much but as soon as you actually go through that drill and get an idea of what that feels like thank god they don't use real guns but they do use like the nerf gun so the idea is you still don't want to get shot and some of the some of the practices i i ended up getting hit maybe in the leg or something like that but you know it, it's it's worth it though because then you really get an idea the practical knowledge and actually going through and applying it because it's just just you know just like in real life if you're sitting there you're reading a book it's one thing to read the book and learn it in a class as it is to actually go on and apply it in real life it's it's never succinct with how it is actually in the book okay but i highly recommend them it was a phenomenal training probably one of the best trainings i've ever done uh I'm like, perfectly. I never have to use it, but I feel a whole lot more prepared than initially. Um, before that class, I think my only two options were either to try to hide or I'm fighting, I'm going down fighting. I didn't know about, you know, how do you lock this door that swings outward? I didn't know about the windows. I didn't know about any of those things. So, um, and I think that's a very important thing to know, no matter what organization you are in. Just as a, unfortunately, as a civilian period in this country. Um, so the idea, like I said, is to assess, write a plan, practice. Assess, write a plan, practice. Just because you assess the situation, decided on the plan, wrote up the plan, and you practice it one time, does not equate to you being prepared. Practice, practice, practice across the board makes better. Maybe not necessarily perfect, but um, the church, I, I think, and I'm glad that we chose active shooter. I think that that's a very hot topic right now. Um, but needless to say, there are other there are other risks that the church has faced. Um, some of them, as simple as natural disasters, you may have, as we were talking before class, you might have a fire. You might have a blizzard, uh, you might have hurricane, tornado. Um, those are some things that are a little, well, a lot less preventable, but there are also things that you can be prepared for. Um, fire. Are all of you familiar with um, safety Sabbath? 
You are safety seven. Safety seven. You had the yes. I remember you telling me about that. Um, so safety Sabbath is something that initiative that we started in twenty seven. <laughs> twenty seventeen, I think it was, was the first time. And so the idea is safety Sabbath. The actual safety Sabbath is the third Sabbath of March. Um, and the idea is to get churches engaged in actually participating and going through a drill. Whether you decide, I think most churches across the board decide to do a fire drill, um, especially if you don't have anybody. Yeah, it's a little bit easier. Um, and the idea is to do it at least, if nothing else, during, if you can't do it during actual safety Sabbath, the plan B is sometime in March. Plan C is at least some time throughout the year. Um, and the idea, of course, is not to do it that one time, but to continue to practice so that, you know, if you ever have a fire, everybody knows where to be. Um, parents aren't running around scrambling looking for their kids because they've already decided, hey, you know, when we went through practice, we know where all the kids are going to be if they weren't with you to begin with. Um, so there's a lot of material. I think it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's still up on our website, eventisfrist.org. And it's um, along with all the other emergency planning material, um, but it, it's geared towards fire drill. So, yeah, so we are, so we talked about violence, natural storms, fires. Um, sometimes we even may have medical emergencies. Yeah. What's the plan for that? Um, do we have first aid kits? Do we have the, um, yes, thank you. Uh, ADs, you know, in case somebody has heart condition, is somebody CPR certified? Um, it's as simple as sitting in a in a in a um, Red Cross class for about a day and getting CPR certified for two two years. Um, it's life saving and it's life changing. Um, so that being said, I mean it's 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 very important to have that relationship with first responders as well. So whether you have your medical staff, you have first responders as far as um, firefighters, EMTs, officers, whatever the situation is, making sure that as you're going through and writing your plan, that hey, you develop that relationship with uh, your local um, other people in service. Um, how is the deacon? Oops. How is the deacon team or hospitality team? How are they going to be involved in any of these emergency situations? Hospitality team. They may be outside greeting people. I don't know. There's a guy out there. He's looking a little shady. He's got his duster coat. I think I've seen a sawed off. Made it my simply safe. I'm letting everybody know what's going on. <laughs> um, one other thing I wanted to share. And this is not a foolproof theory, but it has some validity to it. Um, it's the broken window theory. In 1982, political scientist Dr. James Q. Wilson and American criminologist Dr. George Kelling came up with the broken window theory, which essentially goes, if a building or window un, uh, un, goes unrepaired, it's more susceptible to further vandalism. 
it's if I may talk about my youth <laughs> just for a moment if I ever saw uh, a building with a broken window and it went unrepaired more or less I'd, I'd assume either the, the individuals who own that building they don't care about it or it's a vacant building um, that being said in their their research they discovered that a broken window left unprepared perpetuates like I said further further vandalism and also perpetuates further petty crimes in that same in the vicinity of that church or well I guess in this case church but building in general um, and I think we've all seen it you know you you see a building it's one broken window, you may drive past that building a week later and now you have seven broken windows. No one's, no one's caring for that building. The whole reason why I bring this up is because, and again, this is not foolproof because some, some, some criminals, they stake out the nicer locations. But again, it's more susceptible if it looks like the building is uncared for, you got a broken window here, they have no cameras around the building, that's a church. They have um, uh, no firearm zone. Oh, that's an easy target. I'm going for it. Um, so that's that's another thing in terms of your assessment. So what happens if, and this is, it's not, it doesn't completely fall under the umbrella of emergency, but what do you, how do you plan for potential break-in, burglary, theft? In any sense, this is all things that you want to consider when you sit down at the table and say, hey, um, we're going to sit down and plan for possible emergencies and know who we're going to contact, who we're going to call, how we're going to um, come about getting things done um, when they arise. So that we're, as I mentioned earlier, you don't, when, when you haven't pre-planned for a situation, you're just left trying to figure things out last minute things. And you don't want to try to figure things out when the emergency is already taking place. Okay. Um, so some other things to consider is your overall circumstances, the, phys the physical aspects, so whether you're in a rural area or an urban area. Those dynamics change your emergency situation in some, uh, a lot. In an urban situation, your building may not burn as long because maybe you're closer to the fire department. But then again, maybe it will because you're in a metropolis like a New York City and it'll take forever for the fire truck to get there. Maybe just as long as it takes to a, the, um, in, the, in a rural area. So considering that, well, do we have sprinklers in our, in our, in our, uh, in our church? Or if we can't afford to get a sprinkler system, do we have some other fire suppressant? Do we have fire extinguishers? Do they, we have the appropriate fire extinguisher? Are we using, um, you know, your ABC fire extinguisher on a grease fire? It's not the appropriate one to use, you know. So making sure that you, these are, again, these are things to think about when you're going through and planning. 
Um, again, th that kind of falls in the realm of how the distance between your, your first responders. If I understand that every church might not have a doctor and a police officer and a nurse and all these individuals in the same church, uh, but again, just knowing, okay, well, we're 15 miles away from, you know, the nearest fire station or something like that, knowing what can we do in the meantime before they get there. Or um, I had a situation where I uh, went to Utah. I went to Utah with a friends, some friends, to go uh, sand dune. So I had a little fun. Took a little risk as a risk manager. <laughs> um, that was the first time, you know, you had, you're on your ATVs and going over the sand dunes and having a good time and not thinking, oh, anything can happen out here. Because we were a long way from pretty much anything. Uh, and while we're out there, one of my friends actually ended up losing control of his ATV. To the point where, excuse the, the goriness of it, it actually landed on his arm and kind of severed it to, to an extent. Now, the thing about that is, had we have been closer to a hospital or something to that extent, they would have been able to save his arm. But because we were so far out, didn't have any way of saving it, and they had to amputate it. Um, a gruesome example, but it still goes to to show that there are some things that should, you should consider in terms of what if, what if X, Y, and Z happens, how are we going to respond? <clears throat> um, the structure and the design of your facilities. So in some instances, you may have, there, I've, I'm not mistaken, I've been to some churches where it's almost like a one-way in, one-way out kind of deal. Um, some churches have multiple exits. You can get out the building virtually undetected. So knowing how, you know, depending on, like in the instance of a fire drill, you know, it may not make sense for everybody to try to, out the same exit well it wouldn't make sense for everybody to hang out the same exit uh, so having unless it's already there in your church having an emergency evacuation plan just like they have in most schools um, that also goes into planning for emergencies writing that down in your plan as well um, so knowing hey you know if there's a fire this is here and there's a there's a, and there's a rally point you know I mentioned earlier some parents, they may scramble. They're, they're wanting to look for their kids. I don't care if there's a fire. I'll run back into the fire if need be if I don't see my child outside. But we want to avoid that as much as possible because their child very well could be outside. Somebody else grab their hand and say, come on, you know, we'll meet your parents outside. Parents have to be willing to know that and trusting enough that, hey, we've practiced this enough times. We've gone through it. I know once I get outside, if I don't see... Charlie, Betty, Susie, whoever, that, that there's a rally point where I can go and I can um, pick up my child. Um, the signage and alarms and lighting, all that, making sure that's ignited, so that falls under the realm of having your exit signs, making sure that they work. There, a lot of them they have, there's not one in this room, but 
the little test button, just making sure that it, it's, it still works because, you know, in the event of an accident or something, uh, you want to make sure that that's going well. Simple, sim, um, simply safe? Simply safe. It also falls under that realm of alarming, alerting people, letting them know what's going on. Um, if you have an iPhone nowadays, there's a, a quick way, I think it's five times. Like if you press the, the side button five times, it automatically sends out a... So it's an emergency SOS. Well, it calls your local emergency. So if it's... I think so. I haven't learned. I haven't learned about the other. Yes, that side. It automatically calls for the for you. So if you if you engage it, it's gonna and you let it count all the way down. It's gonna automatically call. So. <laughs> Well, it does give you an option, like if you did it by accident, it'll let you stop, but you literally have three seconds to turn it off before it. I know it's, well, you have a you know, model, so it should work. Well, actually, no, you don't. Well, I know on the newer ones, you may have to, you may have to update. I know on the newer ones, it does it now. I don't know about other model phones, but I know that most phone companies are trying to have a way on your phone where if it's an emergency situation, whether you're sick, you know, I need medical attention, you know, there's, so rather for that, almost for that very same reason of fine motor skills, if you need to open, unlock your phone, put in your passcode, dial 911, it's like, I don't have enough time. I don't have my adrenaline's rushing too much. I, I can't think of doing all of that. So something as simple as doing that, I mean you're already jittery as it is. You may be able to do <laughs> exactly. Um so those are some some I so I know that that's that they're moving transitioning it for, for most newer model phones um to incorporate that as well. Uh, I think I already talked about the layout of the property and the community, um, having that relationship with neighbors in the community as well as first responders, fire marshal, police chief, and city officials. Um, again, um, this is very small, but it gives you an idea of what an emergency preparation, kind of how you're going through um, the goal. Like goal one in this example is to prevent a threatening person from gaining access to the facility. So the objective is to identify how do you, how do you object how do you identify threatening persons before they gain access, and then it's as matter as action as our website is at venicerisk.org. I if I'm not mistaken, the document very similar to this is on our website as well. When you go on and you do the emergency planning. Yeah, yeah, just the website right there. Mm -hmm. um, so this is, so that same document that you have is going to look fairly like this. And you just go through and say, hey, this is, we're planning for the fire drill. We're planning, all right, let's talk about medical, medical um, emergencies this time. Let's talk about active shooter emergencies this time. Let's talk about a gas leak this time. Let's talk about, you know, uh, tornadoes coming this time. 
whatever, you know, go through the situation. It doesn't have to be all in one sit down, you know. It can be over the course of throughout the year, say, hey, you know, pastor or, you know, Hunter came up, I, I realized that, you know, something came to me, I had this situation. I think we should probably plan for what happens if... So when you, so when you have the drills, it's, I, I, So, Betty, this is what I'll say to that. Emergencies are never convenient. So, but I, but at the same time, I leave it up to the. It is a decision that you will have to make collectively at the church. But emergencies are never convenient. So to say, hey, no, we're gonna do it only at this time. It may work for practice, but the reality of it is, when emergency strikes, it's not gonna be convenient. Mm -hmm. So if you're just kind of a walkthrough or explanation the first time around, um, if you're practicing your fire drills often enough, maybe the first time around, you let everybody know, then you slowly move, transition into not letting, you know, certain people may know, fire department may know, just you don't want anybody to call 911 and say, hey, there's a fire. But, um, but then you transition into going through the real thing as if there's actually a fire you know because you, people you keep telling people their practice uh, i'll get out you know I'll, I'll wait until you guys come in kind of deal um so practice like it's the real thing so the key takeaways of course honestly boils down to assess write the plan and practice the plan really what it boils down to being prepared because emergencies happen and you don't want to have to pull up your phone and try to google how to do something <laughs> and have been an emergency when you should have been already <laughs> it's too late too late so as always um, I'm glad we were able to engage on that have a little bit of dialogue uh, it's been a pleasure. I'm glad. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming. As always, you can always reach out to me um, if you have any further questions. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www dot audioverse dot org